Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow, science Science and and superstition. superstition. It lies between the pit of humankind's fears and the summit of our knowledge. No, your ears don't deceive you. You're not imagining things. This is that podcast. You've entered the The fifth dimension. dimension. Greetings, travelers. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Michael Rothman of Consequence of Sound. And this is the fifth dimension, our first episode as we go into Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone, which just premiered on CBS All Access. Before we go into that, I just want to make a a quick note and to give a great thanks to Johnny Jewell of the Chromatics, who uh, composed that music that you heard earlier. It's very, very hip. It's very, very stylish. And those are two things that I would always attribute to Mr. Jewell. And great many thanks to his work there. It just, it makes us sound that much cooler. I would agree, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I don't I, think this would be anything without that yeah. piece of music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For me, I've always been a longtime fan of the Chromatics and Johnny Jewel's work. I think he's one of the great musicians of our modern era. And I, I, everything he, he records is just... just pristine and perfect and i it means the whole world to me it means the whole zone to me to have his music included thank you johnny yeah seriously now we are going to be discussing in this episode the series premiere i guess it's kind of a series premiere yeah it's a series revival premiere that's for (laughs) sure but the first episode is nightmare at thirty thousand feet now that kind of you know rings a bell it's probably because previously we've seen nightmare at twenty thousand feet and we've also seen Nightmare at 20,000 feet again in the 1983 movie. Uh, so we got a lot to discuss, but uh, before we do that, why don't we go around and introduce our fellow co-hosts, starting with... Hey folks, this is Matt Mallis. I'm the editorial director of Consequence of Sound and a classic television junkie. You are a classic television junkie. What I is, am. Outside of the Twilight Zone, what's your, what's your favorite classic television show? Classic television show. Yeah. yeah. You can't, someone can't say they're a classic television junkie and then have you follow up with a question like that. Oh, That's I have to. Too do much it. pressure. I, I have to, Matt. We're, we're outside of the, uh, if you're outside of the zone, you're watching some Nick at Night, if it's still around, or some late night television, what are you going to watch? I'm going to watch. Uh, oh, it's so hard to pick. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Taxi? Taxi. Wow. Well, hey. Uh, Today, you, you know. You can hang on a Taxi, and then afterwards, when you're done on happy hour, join me at. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> And who's Didn't that? Didn't see that coming. Who's that to my right? This is Samantha Kuykendall, a contributor to this podcast, as well as a guest host on this week's episode of Filmography. Yes, you were. Yeah, it was fun talking about Tim Burton. But today we are here talking about the Twilight Zone. Spooky Twilight Zone also, because this is an episode that is spooky. Uh, what, what, what would you say, now that we're uh, going to ask the whole uh, crowd about this, 
What is your favorite uh, classic television show that's not in the zone? Do you mean classic like 80s or can I go 90s since I was born in the 90s? You could go 90s. Just go in the 90s. You know that it's the X-Files. Let's get real. That's that's good because the X-Files, I would say, is a descendant of the Twilight Zone. Oh, we wouldn't have it without it. I I could actually imagine Rod Serling walking around uh, on those missions, you know. Mulder would make good friends. Yeah, I, I like that. I called uh, their cases missions. Can I can I correct mine? I've had time to think. Oh, really? What oh, would wow. you? If like? I only have one show, Golden Girls, for the rest of my life. Uh, Golden Girls. Thank Golden you for Girls. being a friend. Oh. You're yeah. welcome. Thank you for being a friend. Uh, I don't You're know welcome. if that was necessary. So right. let's well, move on down to Eleanor. <laughs> hey, I'm Eleanor. As a child, I went to writing camp, drama camp, and space camp, which I feel like qualifies Ooh. me to be on this Twilight Zone <laughs> podcast. If you could go into space, would you be worried about uh, some of the oddities that would be in the Twilight Zone? <laughs> no, I'd be pretty certain. If we're talking, you know, since we're talking about classic TV shows anyway, I'd be pretty sure I'd be able to find um, I Dream of Genie. So. Oh, Aww. I Dream of Genie. I like that theme song uh, for I Dream of Genie. It's, a, it's, got, a, it's got a nice little jingle. So many spooky things go down at camp. If you ever read like a Goosebumps book yeah. or so, I'm surprised they never went into that. I could I could also see the episode where everyone's just like crowded around a campfire, and then all of a sudden they like turn turn to the side, and Rod Serling comes out of a tent, <laughs> and this is like, and he like ducks down, and he's still smoking campers. a cigarette, yeah, which means that he's been standing inside that tent with like smoke, just like puffing again and again, waiting for his cue. I like when it seems like you're bothering him, like he's just reading his newspaper, and then you pan over to him, and he's like, oh man, yeah. okay. I, I always love that he's just kind of like lingering around in some of these episodes. That's why I'm, I'm really excited, you know, based on what we've already seen in the in the new Twilight Zone, just like where Jordan Peele is going to be, you know, popping up. Because I think that's part of the fun of this series, especially when you actually have a physical narrator. But let's talk about this new series. Jeez. Before we go into the synopsis, let's just get your initial thoughts. Like, what you know, going into this new series, what was the first thing that you thought of when you got that theme, when you got to see the the narrator pop back up? The great Jordan Peele sitting there and really bringing us back into this universe. Matt, what are you? What were your thoughts? Again, I just got really, really excited because there was going to be a new anthology television show that was sort of geared towards me. It's something I, I really haven't. I feel like I haven't had since I was a kid. Yeah, or for years and years. So I was just pumped to be able to check out something new every week, and uh, you know. If uh, if I didn't dig it, there's always next week. I love that feeling. There's always something new coming, you know, yeah. every single week. And uh, I don't have to invest in anyone for too long. If you get killed off, it's cool, you know. I agree. I mean, it's it's, it's something I put in my review last week where I, I, I talked about how, you know, long-form narratives, great. You could talk about them nonstop. And sure. You could have watch this narrative unravel. But with anthology television, it I think it leads to, like, broader discussions and, like, more varied discussions. And I think that's something that we need right now. And uh, I don't know. Eleanor, what were your thoughts? Not even just this episode, but this new revival. Um, Like all Twilight Zone, definitely some serious trepidation. (laughs) Mainly, (laughs) you know, the stakes are really high. (laughs) They are. This is something everybody feels close to. And I know that if anyone can do it, it's Jordan Peele. This is a big risk. I mean, for, for Jordan Peele, who's just riding so high on his successes, be it Get Out, this month's Us which is just one over every critic out there. This is a huge, huge gamble to go into what most consider to be a failed venture because every revival since, including the 1983 movie, which literally had probably the most visionary filmmakers involved, still people were always like, eh, but it's not Rod Serling. Well, it goes back to the, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I mean, it was such an iconic, well-constructed series and here we are reviving it. It's like what I always go back to when they remake anything is like, if it wasn't good, sure, remake it. But if it's great, then don't touch it. And I think this is like the first example I've seen, at least in my adult years, my 20s, that I actually watched and I was like, okay, I I feel like if this doesn't at least surpass the original, it at least is on par with it. Well, you said uh, trepidation, and and I think that's fair, Eleanor, but, you know, you've seen at least one episode uh, since we're recording the first episode, and we're going to act like the second episode that we're going to be recording later happened later on. <laughs> so let, let's just assume uh, that what? you've only seen one episode. Wow. <laughs> Do you feel a little bit more comfortable in this zone? Yes and no. I, you know, I'm actually wondering if it was a little bit over my head or mm. if it was just more ambiguous than, than I was hoping for. Okay. Um, for sure. Well, I think that's a good lead-in into talking about Nightmare at 30,000 Feet. And we're going to start this off by going into a synopsis. And this isn't a synopsis that we found in a press release anywhere. This is a synopsis written by 
Matt Mellis. So please, in your best... In 30 seconds, five minutes ago. Let's yes. preface with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in, in your best serling or peel, ah. give us the synopsis of Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Investigative journalist Justin Sanderson is on a business flight from Washington, D.C. to Tel Aviv when he finds a podcast that predicts a tragic end to the very same flight he's on. Is Sanderson experiencing a nervous breakdown, or is he really the only one who can say flight 1015? That's a big number from certain doom. Oof, yeah. Now, let's uh, back up just a bit and talk about the history of this particular story. Now, out of all the Twilight Zone episodes, and there are a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, but I would argue that just because of the revisitation of this story, it's probably the most iconic episode now at this point. I would agree. You know, which is kind of funny considering that the <laughs> the original one didn't appear until season five of the series. Now, the original one starred the great William Shatner, who in no way was involved in, in any sort of murders in the past. Um, <laughs> season five, episode three, directed by Richard Donner. Now, why does that name seem familiar? Oh, I know, because he's directed pretty much every iconic movie wow. of the past 30 So it is the years. same, the same Richard Donner. Oh, the same Richard Donner. Wow. And this is also written by Richard Matheson, the great Richard Matheson, who would go on to influence the great Stephen King. And if you like Stephen King, you could find us on the Losers Club, a Stephen <laughs> King podcast. That is a plug right there for you. Uh, but... Basically, the gist of the original one was that there was a gremlin on the plane and not Gizmo and not Stripe, but <laughs> a real creepy gremlin that was in a life-size ape suit. In a oh, way. I love like him, though. Or he's, he's misunderstood. He's, he's misunderstood, but the obvious <laughs> became a very iconic episode, probably for the sheer horror of it. And that premiered in October 11th, 1963. And God, I, I doubt... Many people at that time knew two things. One, that the next month was going to lead to uh, the death of the president. And then, oh, uh, you know, 20 years later, it would be revisited by George Miller in uh. the Twilight Zone movie. And instead of William Shatner, we got Pet Cemetery star John Lithgow. And he plays kind of a similar passenger who finds another gremlin on the wing. And all the madness goes down there. And it's a, it's a troubling situation for him. And they kind of tweak the ending a little bit. But... For the most part, it's it's a more macabre version that you saw in 1963. Now, in this one, that's for the new CBS All Access show in Jordan Peele's zone, as we're going to say. We've got to come up with a cool one, like Peel Zone. You think that's a good one? I like Peel Zone. Mm. The Peel Zone? Peel Zone. Yeah. Oh, okay, we'll go with it. <laughs> in the Peel Zone, there really isn't a gremlin in this. That's the first part that I was hung up on, and I didn't know if maybe that was why they stuck the gremlin in at the end, the, the little stuffed animal. Yeah. If it was because they knew you were going to spend the entire episode looking for a gremlin. <laughs> yeah. I think it was kind of like this like spiritual nod that they were like, oh, right. there you go. I and spend everything <laughs> I have ever watched looking for a gremlin, so I can totally relate to that. Yeah, you do yeah. love gremlins. Now, why don't we step into a little section we call stars and souls you walk into this room at your own risk because it leads to the future not a future that will be but one that might be this is not a new world it is simply an extension of what began in the old one in this section we're going to be talking about the characters and the casting Let's start off with Adam Scott's Justin. What do we think about Justin? Justin Sanderson, an investigative journalist and magazine writer, in case you haven't met a magazine writer before. I haven't met a magazine writer, an <laughs> online magazine writer I have, because I'm staring at him right now. You are, and I'm staring <laughs> at one too. Oh my God. Is he crazy? It's a, it's a mirror image. I live with one. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, you're all in trouble. Justin Sanderson's, <laughs> this isn't a great flight, right? For a couple reasons. I mean, first of all, Justin Sanderson, he's had some problems recently. Mm -hmm. He's had a mental breakdown. Uh, did they call it a mental? I think nervous breakdown. He was yeah, a it. nervous breakdown. I heard um, William Shatner called what? I think a mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. See, I didn't even think those terms were kosher anymore. Mm -hmm. Does anyone use those? I thought you had to say like, what, uh, pa you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's what I don't know. Had, I but. have nervous breakdowns. On an hourly basis. What, what, do you call, what do you call them when you when you're having one? What do you call it? Oh no, like a mental breakdown for okay, sure. So, I still refer to it as a mental yeah, so breakdown. So just so that's that's sort of the thing we have going on here with Justin. So a mental break, maybe you know. Mm -hmm. So he's had a mental break, break before recently. 
His wife is extremely worried that he's flying from D.C. to Tel Aviv. He says he had this mental breakdown in what, Yemen, so we kind of associated, he says he's seen some crazy stuff, so we kind of associated with he probably saw something terrorism related. Mm -hmm. And so once we get on this plane, you sort of see um, the back and forth with Justin. You sort of see him very normal. In one second, he's kind of at a a gift shop, and I thought Christmas music was about to play. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next moment, you sort of hear that music kick in, and he's very paranoid looking around and seeing people. Um, People that, let's just say this about this flight. If you were a white supremacist, you would not want to be on this flight. (laughs) This is... He is one of the few people that, yeah, Adam Scott is a white actor. He's one of the few white people on this flight. And he's looking around at a lot of different types of people. Very, very paranoid about the whole situation. And again, kind of flickering back between normal, nice guy in the airport and suspicious guy who's kind of nervous about something or other. But we don't quite know yet what that's all about. I didn't think it was the people, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought Justin was pretty reliable. You know, in a sense, because he's a journalist and I'm biased, but I, I, I don't get the same feeling from Justin that I do from either Shatner or Lithgow. I get the sense that he's a level headed guy. I don't know. What do you what do you all think? Well, oh. I think I mean, in this one, it's not a monster that he's dealing with. The other two don't feel as level headed because they're seeing a creature on the wing. Mm-hmm. Adam Scott's character just pulls out, you know, it almost looks like an old video iPod yeah. um, with like that mm-hmm. kind of 70s wood on yeah, it. it And I thought that was a great change to the story because it's like, we've seen this before. I I know how this one goes. We've seen it twice. And so to twist it into this modern age, I think worked so well. Even when he turns the podcast on, they drown out the sound of everything else on the plane. So you're Mm -hmm. just hearing the the man and on the podcast, Mm -hmm. which is like what it's like when you're listening to a podcast, just you and your headphones and you're blocking everything else out. And I just, I loved when it would go from like, him listening to all the passengers and then he would like press play again. It was just him and the podcast again. Yeah. I I thought that was a very modern twist because, you know, going into this, I thought that this was all going to be about like racial profiling. Mm. You know, which it kind of is. I mean, because that's Peel's MO. I mean, at the moment. Yeah. Maybe steers his suspicions, I would say. Yeah. Away from who we ultimately find might be the troublemaker. I didn't get any any of the racial stuff um until Until later, um, you know, there was the moment with with the air marshal where he's like, you're the air marshal, which I thought was weird because I thought we knew that. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought that the most white privilege part of it was where where he was told, like, oh, stir up trouble. And then you can, you know, find out who the air marshal is, where that's that's something you think about if you think that as a white person, you're going to be okay, (laughs) And the, you know, the justice system is going to shake out in your favor fairly. You know, you don't challenge it if you don't feel like you can get away with it. So I got that, but I didn't get the terrorism fear. I got anxiety for sure, but I thought it was just coming from everywhere. I think because I was searching for a gremlin, I was associating the uh, <laughs> the other guy, the pilot, you know, who we don't know as a pilot right away in the plane as, you know, as this a gremlin from within. Oh, I like that, Eleanor. He is the gremlin from within. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. No, that's like I didn't even think about that. That's actually <laughs> such a good point because he's ultimately the demise of the flight. And in the original William Shatner one, it's the gremlin that is the demise of the flight or at least should have been, you know, unless they like didn't land immediately because mm. at the end of that episode you see that he's been like fucking with the um the wing <laughs> whereas in this one it's like an internal and it's actually a person he even like looks kind of gremlin-y like he has brown hair he's got like some five o'clock shadow going on and like really tan and like chis- like he looks like he's up to no good well it mm. helps that he's portrayed by chris diamantopoulos Diamantopoulos. Diamant- hey, you're the you're the Greek. <laughs> I so am the uh, the Greek character. Get him to the Greek. Um, <laughs> he traditionally portrays total dickheads. Oh, in, in Silicon Valley, he's an asshole. Oh, he's just insufferable in Silicon Valley. And don't even get me started on his character in The Office. Oh God, yeah. That, <laughs> Who's he in uh, The Office? Well, he's he, the Mike guy that Pam and Jim. She kind of has a crush on. He punches the guy in the last season, oh, season nice nine. Shit. Yeah, yeah, he's awful in it. He, he's, a TV, he's a TV regular. I, what I what I do like about this episode and what they do for Justin is that everyone's a suspect, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it does really play into the paranoia of 
what it would be like if you were on a plane and you were told that something bad was going to happen. Like, but you don't know who. And you don't know who. Mm-hmm. And immediately, that's where I'm talking about the the whole racial profiling thing because I think that that's like that it's kind of tying into the anxieties that we have in this like post 9/11 world. I think that there are going to be assumptions that are tied to those revelations that we are told. Well, he goes yeah. up to the Russian people first. He, he immediately goes against the people that are different from him, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and then there's Mm -hmm. the Middle Eastern characters as well that he like automatically Mm -hmm. assumes are like, maybe it's you guys who are the demise of this flight. And then they point out we're Sikh. Yeah. To tell them we're not Muslim, (laughs) right? Exactly. Which I I think that's what they were trying to say. Well, and that's the whole point (laughs) is that like immediately he goes to the people that are different from him. And in the long run, it's the person that's the most similar to him, a white middle-aged male that fucks them in the end. (laughs) He suspects everyone but Joe and himself. And I think part of the reason why, again, we're steered towards there being terrorism going on here because... We know he's had some past. Again, we're, we're making connections, but uh, we're making some speculations. But we know he's had he's seen some things in Yemen, mm-hmm. and that's where he's coming from. So yeah. that's possibly it. We even get to the point where when he's listening to this podcast he's found, it says all these other things check out. So it seems like it was just an act you couldn't predict it. You couldn't have predicted, which would be like a rogue person on the plane, mm-hmm. someone doing something. So I think that's why we get pushed to terrorism. And to go back to what you were saying, Michael, I mean, just think about this again. I mean, this is why this is so terrifying. I mean, you're on a flight. What, you're 30,000 feet up, trapped in the air. He's dealt with things in the past. It's so claustrophobic. It's so suffocating. You find out this thing, and he's got to be wondering, am I all there? You know, he's, he's got to be wondering himself, is it happening again to me? Even when he tries to break away, right, and get some fresh air, where does he go? He goes to the most cramped thing you could ever think of. A, an bathroom. airline An airline bathroom, <laughs> yeah. which is a phone, which is, a you know, like a phone booth, <laughs> you know, size. So, I mean, there's abs- nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You're absolutely trapped. And if the mind starts wandering away or running away with you in a certain direction, you know, you can't really hide from it up there. If your mind's running away in first class, you can maybe go to coach. That's about it. You're stuck with it. Well, I think arguably the scariest place for something, anything bad to happen is up in the sky. There's nothing you can do. I would mm-hmm. even rather be on the sea, you know, then I yeah. can like jump in the water or you you're can't, trapped, you, right? you're trapped. We had just flown back from Austin when we had watched this episode. And the whole time I just kept putting myself in the plane and how I would feel. And I could feel my heart like thumping and my gut hurting. I mean, I'm also a very anxious person, but like his <laughs> acting, it made me feel like I was in the plane with him and I was listening to this and I had to make a decision with him. So I looked up gremlins <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of the theories behind gremlins, you know, the, the term came up in the twenties originally as RAF slang, according to Wikipedia. <laughs> um, and one of the theories behind what gremlins are, you know, there's always the theory that it's easier to blame uh, mechanical failures on something without, you know, a name or a face of you don't want to blame your co-pilot. You don't want to blame other people in your military outfit. Mm-hmm. It's a gremlin. Yeah, because that's dangerous to morale or yourself. Right. It, it comes up in this episode, too. Exactly. So um, so one of the other theories is just that it's a coping mechanism for pilots to deal with the pressures uh-huh. of. I never heard that before. I didn't That's know that. I mean, the only, like, the first time I had heard the term gremlins was in Joe Dante's 1984 <laughs> Gremlins. Uh, we, I don't think we're ever going to get through an episode oh, of this like, podcast. Oh, like, we can't get through anything without you saying some of your shit. Okay. okay. Yeah, I know, but or whatever. <laughs> Speaking of captains, though, there, there's a familiar face in the captain with uh, Nicholas Lay, a.k.a. Uh, Crycheck, uh, if we're going to be talking From about the X-Files. The X-Files. Yeah, I, I thought that this captain, uh, Captain Donner, which is absolutely a reference to Dick Donner, who, you know, directed the original one. I thought that he was going to just like strangle Adam Scott at one point. And maybe it's just because the actor who plays Crycheck in the X-Files is just so vicious. He kind of reminds me of like a, a an actor that would be like in a hairspray commercial or something. Um, but <laughs> I guess the only unrealistic part of this whole thing is just how often he's able to leave his seat. Justin gets up from his seat so many times and it's kind of a chore to get out of your seat. Like maybe it's because yeah. like I travel on smaller Southwest airlines or whatever, <laughs> but th- there's always someone in the aisles, or you know, it, it's very stuffy. You have mm-hmm. the eyes all watching you. I, maybe it's just because this is a bigger flight, but yeah. I, was, I was actually surprised at how many times he was able to get up because you don't really see that in the original. If he you mostly do, stays yeah. in the seat. It's a small flight in the original. If you do travel internationally, 
um, which you know I, I have on occasion. And you're on that larger flight, you can't get up and walk around. But sometimes you're on like a double decker, mm-hmm. and it's like Billy Idol says, um, <laughs> and a wedding, wedding singer. We pretty much let our first class passengers do whatever they want. <laughs> whatever they I have they been, want. I have been in like in the front of the plane with a huge big screen in front of me in the Captain Kirk chair, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I, yeah, I got to do whatever the hell I wanted. Cool. So you can't, you can't do that. But I thought that uh, what was it, Katie Finley? She plays the flight attendant. Mm. I thought she was going to strangle. She's like, "You again?" Or, "Oh my God, you're got to be kidding me!" And yeah. She just keeps investigating, investigating. I mean, he's, he's hot on the trail of, you know, figuring this out. Meanwhile, she's just trying to, like, serve drinks up there, you know, and hot towels. I actually feel the most sympathy for the flight attendant. Oh, or a waitress or anyone who ever, or waiter, anyone who has to Deals serve with people in like general. This. But, yeah. but yeah. imagine at a 30,000 feet with a guy who's not all there. Yeah. Potentially. They lock him down. They tie him up with the wraps. <laughs> this is this is true. So needless to say, when it comes to Justin, his uh, his detective skills or his investigative skills, if you will, I don't know. I, I felt as if he was a true investigative reporter. He would have been able to glean something from, uh, you know, Chris uh, Diamond. Say it again. It's usually uh, Diamondopolis. Yeah. We're going to call him the gremlin. Yeah. We're going to call him the gremlin here. Well, name. he's biased because if you remember in the airport, they're in the gift shop and he says to him, like, are oh, you that journalist? And he has him sign his book. So I think that he's just like, oh, he's a fan of mine. He can't be a bad person. Yeah, but even then, I, I still would have been like, this guy's probably a super fan. And, you know, did you ever see that movie, The Fan, with Robert De Niro? and uh, Wesley Snipes? Snipes, unfortunately, yeah. I have, yeah. Let's so, get gotta, real. You date a fan of yours. So yeah, I think we're watching, a little I'm watching it right here. now. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> I know how that movie ends, so I'm going to get up and leave. Okay. Well, <laughs> Eleanor, what did you think of Justin's investigative skills? Because I, th- I thought they were kind of shitty. I am starting to wonder if Sammy's a figment of your imagination because <laughs> I wonder and, that too and yeah. mine <laughs> because she's what I'm worried about well she is a gremlin so she is a figment of my imagination what a so. Twilight Zone episode that would be <laughs> it's like Fight Club and he's just do- been doing my voice the entire time <laughs> yeah yeah wow so what did you think? Well, see, I think maybe the gremlin wasn't real. You know, I think he was a voice mm-hmm. in his head and I think he was a coping mechanism for whatever else was going on in his head. But I don't think it's that straightforward because it's the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he's real. And I think that's why he listened to him more than he should have, because he was coming from within. And I mean, that's that's sort of the question I have. Remember, we've seen since Ron Serling's uh, original series has come out, think of how many movies we've seen like this, where things aren't as we've, you know, oh, as yeah. they seem. Oh, so God. we have yeah. so much to it. like run with that he didn't back then. But even even the podcast, right? Oh, is the podcast real? Or was this just him running thoughts through his head? Could have been that too, potentially. So again, I come back to that. How much is this just like surface level? What's going on? And it's still an incredible story. Or how much of this is going on in the head a little bit, too. Again, he might be a very unreliable narrator. But I think that's for the viewer to decide. And that's the Uh whole point. And I think that goes back to the original episode as well. It's like... Did William Shatner's character uh-huh, really no. see the I gremlin? Think, no, or at the end, they but yeah, they towards, see, and they see. Because paranoia and horror is usually bared out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think in this one, they leave it a little bit more to your imagination. I kind of like the ambiguity in this. We only ever see him with the podcast because like, he tries to ask the neo-Nazi to listen to it. And then that guy just goes and we know, do he's see, like, Fuck We off. do see yeah. the flight marshal. Toss it back and say that can't predict the future. Yeah. But so we don't know that she construct. listened to it, actually. Mm, yeah. Or even if she did listen to it, who knows if it says anything? Who knows if it says something completely it's different? It's static. I mean, I think the podcast, that's worth looking at um, for a few reasons. One, because my take on the podcast is, you know, if you had just stopped listening, <laughs> would everything have been fine? <laughs> yeah, that's what Mike was saying the whole um, episode. Because it, it reminded me of the original episode where he pulls back the curtain on the window and it's like, just don't, don't look. Stop looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be okay if you don't look. So I thought turning the podcast back on was like that. And it reminded me of that joke, you know, the, the emo Phillips joke about, um, someone handed me a flyer and by the time you finish reading this, some, another person will have died from. And so you stop reading right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Oh. But also it had those allusions to other Twilight Zone episodes. Well, if we're going to be talking about allusions to old episodes and maybe even beyond, we're going to step away from the stars and souls, which we've just been discussing, and go into the light and shadow. We know that a dream can be real. But whoever thought that reality could be a dream? Think about it. 
And then ask yourself, do you live here, in this country, in this world? Or do you live instead, in the Twilight Zone? Okay, so they referenced two episodes in the beginning of the podcast. Two past Twilight Zone episodes, and they were The Arrival and 22. And I thought that this episode was way more like 22 than it was like the Gremlin episode, mm-hmm. the, the Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. I mean, they're both about people having mental breakdowns, but 22 is about somebody doubting their own reality, doubting what's real, but still being right about a plane crash, you know, the foreboding of it. And then it, it had the same recurring numbers. And, you know, that's how the protagonist knows that they've cracked the code is that they, they keep seeing the same numbers. Mm, I could, yeah, I could see that. It's, it almost has ties to Nick of Time a little bit too, because it's almost like creating your own fate. fate. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's almost like this self-prophetic destiny that you're leading towards. Yeah, that's that's an interesting allusion to that, because I mean, obviously the, the, the biggest parallel to this episode is the previous two, but I think as we'll see in the episodes to come, this isn't a show that's going to be dismissing its past. Like, you know, obviously it's forging ahead and Peel wants to make this its own thing for sure. But I think it's definitely going to be reverent to its past. And I, I that, that's interesting. I did not actually catch that. I didn't either, Eleanor. <laughs> Are those the chapters or is it? That's where he says, uh, we've talked about previous weird things that happened with flights, like flight 22 to Miami. Oh, interesting. Wow. That is so cool. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that a lot. What other parallels do you see in the in, in, in this one, you know, beyond that? I mean, we get to see the gremlin pop up as a puppet. Wash up, in, yeah. On the shore, and that's like a nice little spiritual nod and all, but... I don't know about, like, to past episodes, but, like, in pop culture as a whole, I definitely felt like a big lost vibe during this episode and i think this episode alone like in an hour did what lost couldn't do (laughs) in years like in seasons Mm -hmm. you know it did what lost wish it could have done because it plays on the fate thing did this really happen if if he had stopped the podcast would this still have happened you know was this always meant to be is this always the chain of events that was always going to come to fruition regardless of that and i think lost i mean especially in the first season which arguably is my favorite season has so much to do with like the numbers and the sequences of numbers and how no matter what any of them were to do this was always going to happen and so i definitely like i saw a lot of lost in it but again like i know i i mean I'm not very happy with that ending as much as I've come to accept <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, you don't like the yellow river that uh, that you get for the uh, penultimate episode? And I don't episode? like the... Oh, ma- like, there's so much there that I don't like. But what I'm saying is, is that it does exactly what the writers of Lost wish they could have come up with. Mm. And I mean, I remember Eleanor brought it up last episode uh, when we introduced all of you to the fifth dimension. Why do these stories keep working? And that idea of trying to change your fate, right? And going out of your way to change what's going to happen, but you don't have the information needed to do so. So you end up actually, it happened because you're doing what you're doing. That's how time travel and fate works, is that like Mm -hmm. these were always the chain of events because we couldn't have got here without having done that at the beginning. Which is very cool to think of this actually as a time travel episode too in some ways it is definitely because you I are mean, dealing with the cause and effect and exactly yeah. it's already happened yeah. it, according to the podcast that he's listening to yeah. the events of what's going on for him in the present time have already happened i want to derail just a little bit because i think uh this kind of reminds me of um flight plan <laughs> which uh wow, that's an it, obscure reference it's, it's not yeah. too obscure because <laughs> it involves planes I kind of got Plays. the vibe of a lot of like plane thrillers over the past. Like, I mean, for, with maybe with, even a little red eye. Yeah, no, <laughs> even no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that makes this one so much different is that air travel has become so ubiquitous. It used to be kind of like a novelty, but now it's like Pilots a part of our world. Like, things like that. Yeah, yeah, because we, I mean, so much of our businesses and so much of our economy has just expanded. So we're constantly, you know, using flights. We're constantly getting on flights, and which is why nine eleven was so detrimental because the the economy for air travel has just grown exponentially over the years and i think that's why this particular episode of the twilight zone had to be had to come back i mean and mm-hmm. it probably will come back in 20 or 30 years when they do another revival Well, what does uh, joe beaumont uh, tell him you know when he says i believe what you're telling me he leans over and tells justin 
we're 30,000 feet, you know, feet in the air and yeah. like a, a metal bird. That shouldn't happen. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think about that all the time, you know, like about the stupidest little things like how do they put music on that piece of vinyl and stuff like that? You know, how are we up there 30,000 oh, feet? All the then? time. Yeah. I mean, but will that ever be normal to be 30,000 feet up in the air going 500 miles per hour? I mean, it's always going to lead to the possibility of supernatural um, uh, or a twist. We or, never were supposed to do that. There's got to be some way that could be terrifying. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just imagine if, I mean, they didn't even go into anything on this flight about, imagine going through that storm. And I love, I loved how from the, the airport right through the plane, I loved how you constantly had the lightning, the pulse and the lightning going all the time. And um, I mean, just could you imagine if you actually had a fear of flying and being up there or even watching this, the fear of flying? And it's just... I actually just, now that you mentioned that, uh, I had a visual of that scene from Final Destination, the first mm-hmm. one, and how like he gets the vision, you know, of the flight yeah. going down. And mm-hmm. I think that that drew a lot from that as well. I mean, maybe if they didn't mean to, but like that this was always going to happen. Well, that, and that's what the well, whole premise of that movie is. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that was, an, that was originally supposed to be an X-Files episode, which is I did not know that. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was originally supposed to be an X-Files episode, which, you know, comes into that episodic nature of uh, which... Clearly, obviously, the Exiles is indebted to the, the Twilight Zone itself. So, I, I do definitely see ties to that movie as well because it, that whole film is just based on this premise of like you can't escape fate. Like you know, even if you get off that flight, you're gonna you're cheating death, and death is gonna chase after you. But in this one, it's definitely a little more esoteric because this is so specific, and it's specific to the actions. And I, you know, obviously, it links to gr- greater themes that we're going to be discussing in just in just a bit, but it's a quirky story because, I mean, first off, like the whole podcast medium is so new to so many people, and yet it also feels so antiquated in this episode. Definitely, um, and really, podcasts are creepy and will bring about your demise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Well, we've talked a lot about fate. But what about the science and superstition? Obscure metaphysical explanation to cover a phenomena. Reasons dredged out of the shadows to explain away that which cannot be explained. Call it parallel planes or just insanity. Whatever it is, you'll find it in the Twilight Zone. Okay, well, in this section, we're going to be talking about the fundamentals and the mechanics of the Twilight Zone, or the zone. And whether or not we consider this to be science fiction or a little bit of fantasy, but also what made us sweat. So who is at the controls of uh, the proverbial plane that we're talking about? The host of the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who is this host of the podcast? Is this the zone that, that's talking to him? We don't really ever get these answers in the Twilight Zone, but what, what are some theories you got here? I think it's definitely like a cross of science fiction and fantasy because Mm -hmm. obviously this is a fantastical event, but when it comes down to it, it's this sci-fi fate-based thing, you know? So I don't know. I think it's definitely meets somewhere in the middle. It's a spectrum for me in this Mm -hmm. episode. And I don't think that's a bad thing because I think it ends up working. Like, I mean, I know you and I differ on this, but this was my favorite of the first two and Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I had goosebumps. Like I physically felt sick at some points. (laughs) So I don't know. I think it definitely meets somewhere in the middle there. Well, I, I mean, I think it's definitely one of those classic Twilight Zone tropes in the sense that there's an object you know, and the object is in control of this whole thing. We've seen this in countless Twilight Zone episodes, whether it's the aforementioned Nick of Time, in which you have the machine that's literally keeping William Shatner. Oh, wow, look at that. Uh, Zone's Dominion. And where <laughs> is that your favorite episode? Because I'm getting vibes that it's my favorite episode. <laughs> I have I literally have an action figure of him <laughs> and the devil uh, fortune teller. So, uh, <laughs> but, it, but does it sleep next to your gizmo? You know, it doesn't sleep next to my gizmo. Gizmo it, from Joe Dante's Gremlins. Yes, uh, masterpiece. Uh, no, he Copyright. sleeps on um, my table where I get ready every morning. So while I'm putting on my makeup, I get to look at William Shatner's character in Nick of Time. Well, you also get to look at Anthony Fremont, but yeah, well, because I'm him. What the, yeah. Mike, what do you what do you get to look at when you put on your makeup? What do you look at? Well, when I put on my makeup, I get to look at images of William Shatner, actually, because <laughs> I model my entire life of him, and, it, and it's an evolution. So, like when I finally put on my makeup, I look like Michael Myers. You mean you mean you mean William Shatner who appeared in the Twilight Zone? Yeah, see how we the got it back to it. I took us away and I brought us back. You might call. I'm, I'm going to call you a pilot, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Certainly Thank a better pilot than the one we uh, we get at the end of this episode. I will say that as far as whether it's fantasy or sci-fi, I definitely go fantasy because I think that it is. Um, it's right there in the title. It's a nightmare. It's the exact polar opposite of 
a fantasy. Yeah, and I and I think with this sort of technology that you have here, I, I think it's definitely like just a modern facelift of some of the things that we've seen in the past. Uh, you know, whether it's talking Tina, the the nick of time, whether it's even something like I think the lateness of the hour too, a little bit because that's like with robots you know, or mm-hmm. robots, robots, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, robots. All right. Well, we have no answer on where this podcast came from. We just know that this is a zone construct. It just is. That's yeah. I think the this point. is the MacGuffin. What yeah. is what what has been will always be. You yeah. know, that's like the premise of this episode. And what's great about short stories, anthologies, things you haven't dedicated ten years or eighty hours towards is you can leave them open ended, mm-hmm. and like you, you said, Michael, it. leads to these sorts of discussions and. You don't have to tie it up quite as neatly because people you say, oh, I've, I've, I've followed this character for the last uh, 10 seasons. You know, I need to know if Tony Soprano's dead or not. <laughs> you can you can leave things open and uh, you can have these discussions and you can honestly sit there and say, I have no idea what the hell happened. And that doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't mean it went over your head. <laughs> it just means it's actually it's actually kind of not always about what you think. It's kind of this is more an example of like how you think sometimes when you look at these types of episodes, I find. I agree with that. Sammy, um, another way this had parallels to Lost was that when he was reaching for the MP3 player or whatever it is, the podcast player, it made me think of Hurley sitting on the beach. Oh, I love that. that, I love Lost. That's a special (laughs) one to my heart. Okay, well, you know, now we've gotten a little sentimental there. Why don't we sweat a little bit? What, what What are some scenes in this episode that really just brought the anxiety in? It's the panic. It's his, like, and honestly, like, Adam Scott, we have only seen in fucking seen Step Brothers and Parks and Recreation. And although we see him in Parks and Rec have moments of breakdown when he like is the mayor and does Ice Town when he's 18 years old. But this is the first time I've, I've seen Adam Scott really play this dramatic role. Even his character in Party Down kind of has more ups and downs as well. But this was really what showed me his acting chops. He really made me believe that he was fucking scared and that like the, the paranoia, I felt it through the screen. Oh, totally. Totally. What about you, Eleanor? I had a lot of sympathy for him. The only time I've ever seen Adam Scott not play a total asshole was when he played a body in ER (laughs) a million years ago. And you had sympathy for him then. But uh, in this, I really did just want to hold him and say, calm down. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Stop playing that thing. I think the ending is just it's so cruel. I mean, it's fitting. And we're going to be talking about, you know, the lesson uh, right after this. But it's just so haunting and nerving to be on this island with like a bunch of people surrounding you with rocks. Just the death that he's going to have in this is just so brutal. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I will say I I did like Adam Scott in The Overnight. Oh, yeah. Sympathy for him, not empathy. For those of you who've seen it might know why I stress that. (laughs) Um, But uh, in this, I had a lot of sympathy for him, too, because... Think about that scene where Joe Beaumont, right? He comes over, he sits down next to Justin, and he's explaining to him, you know what, I believe you. Anything could happen up here. They don't tell you half the time what's going on out there. And he just goes, thank you. Like, sincerely, you could go, thank you, Joe. Like, someone believes me. Remember, he's got his arms bound, his hands bound at this point. He's been yelled at multiple times by the captain, by the uh, the flight attendant who's having none of his shit anymore, by half the people on board the plane at this point. And he's really sitting there wondering, am I there or not? And here's this guy, obviously, maybe the worst guy on the plane that you want on your, your side, but he is that guy who's willing to come over there and just say, I believe you. I understand what you're going through. If you could imagine, you know, struggling to find your grasp on what's real and what's not for someone to just take you aside and say, you know, I'm with you. That's got to be, I mean, so powerful. So that's why I really felt sympathy for him. As opposed to, if you remember when Shatner in the original, the captain comes up and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we know there's something on the plane. Don't worry. We just don't want to scare everyone else. And Shatner realizes, dude, you're just putting me on. I know you don't really believe me, you know? So it was like he finally found somebody who sincerely believed him and was on his side. And, you know, that's... You just just think of how terrifying it had to be for him. But wasn't that the ultimate manipulation? Mm-hmm. 
So he wasn't really on his side. He was just manipulating him. Being oh, no, like, but he believed he was. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You know, no, absolutely. This, I mean, one of, one of the interpretations is, you know, a terrorist saw an easy market is manipulating this guy to do what he's going to do. That's, that's one way. But no, I'm saying that he legitimately thought, here's someone who believes me. So in that, maybe, in that case, it was sincere. Maybe in, it was in that jo- respect, I mean. Maybe it was Joe who set the, the podcast on there. That was a thought, too. Um, again, we can. We can run that around in circles all day long. I know it's not. I just don't think it's supposed to be explained. Like I I said earlier, I I think it just, what is it? It is. I know. I'm just having fun with it. I I, I think it's actually better. We might might have to leave it out there that, like you said, um, everything can probably be explained, but then the Twilight Zone could just drop a podcast or do put something out there that you can't explain. You know, I think it's telling of the human condition that one of my most anxious moments in this entire episode is just the sheer embarrassment. Yes. Of it all, <laughs> you know, and just having to deal with like all these watching eyes, just being like, what the hell is with this guy's problem? Yeah. Like that almost kind of created more tension to me than knowing like the consequences that were to come. See, but you know, but you know, their eyes are watching him. You know, they're getting fed up with him when he's doing his investigation. I don't think he senses that other than when he gets told by when he does, when he does get told by the crew. But yeah. you, you've got to imagine it's even worse than it seems. These people probably are just saying, what the hell is up with this guy? Oh, totally. Time, yeah. I think he's aware of it. He's just, he's so focused on on doing the right thing. And he thinks it doesn't matter because the most important thing is saving the people. True, true. That's well, a good I, point. I guess that leads us to our next section, the lesson. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill, and suspicion can destroy, and a thoughtless, frightened search for a scapegoat has a fallout all of its own. And now what does Justin learn? What do we learn? I think he learns that you can't believe everything that you hear, you know, like, He's relying on this narrator that this omniscient narrator that he's never met before or like knows anything about. And yet he's sitting there completely putting his life in the lives of others in this ghost person. He had just taken his earbuds out and done nothing. Nothing would have happened. You know, it was it's just you can't believe everything that comes out of a podcast or a newspaper or a magazine. You know, I think the lesson was just take everything with a grain of salt if you can. <laughs> but it did well, happen. Yeah. I know, exactly. So it well, was I, I, true. I, I do wonder if, like, are we supposed to see the podcast as the the manifestation of his, his consciousness? You know, is are these his anxieties talking to him? Like, yes. is this actually, like, you know, this, the stuff that he hears and feels in his head? It, 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 that's that's one way to look at it, I would imagine. Um, what about you, Matt? I mean, it's definitely an interpretation that, again, like maybe the flight marshal listened to it and it could have been, you know, Huey Lewis in the news, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, we already had Emo Phillips and uh, and what, what did you have, the fans? So we'll give a shout out to Huey Lewis, why not? <laughs> but um, so, that, so that definitely could be an interpretation. I, I think there's, a, there's a few things that you can kind of take away from this. I, there's the, the ills of the white savior. I think there's the the blindness of racial profiling in the sense that any assumptions that you can make on the uh, on anyone that you're surrounded by probably have uh, you know end in uh, some consequence. And I, I think there's also the pitfalls of precaution. I think especially in a day and age where so many people are helicoptering as parents, we all try to like baby proof and make sure that everything's safe and try to prevent anything at all measures. And in the end, it doesn't matter. Well, what does he keep repeating himself? He says to his wife and he says when he goes into the restroom and everything, the past is the past and that will help me get through the now. And I think another way of interpreting this is, you know, again, we're speculating about what he went through in the past and how, but we know what the result was, right? And now his mind's running with suspicions to different people. We're possibly seeing that he hasn't been able to leave that past in the past, that event in the past. And until he sort of is able to negotiate that, he's going to keep coming up with that same result, which, again, is this sort of this breakdown, whether it's a coping mechanism or whatever. So just because he says that a few times, I almost want to think like he hasn't been able to get past what he experienced before. And he's carrying that with him. and He's going to keep ending up in the same place until he's able to get beyond that. I like that. 
I like that a lot, actually. It sounded good, but uh, I think probably bullshit. No, no, no. It's got a one. It's got a one in eighteen chance. Of- hey, it, it sounded as good as a podcast I'd find um, on the back of an airplane chair. I think it has a lot to do with his paranoia. I mean, I I actually really liked both your points, Mike. And I think that he just has uh, a ton of anxiety that just makes it so that he doesn't even care what the consequences of the thing he feels threatened by are. He's just feeling threatened and that sends him in, into panic mode and obviously unresolved issues, you know. Well, I think it's because the podcast doesn't know either. Do you if you're Oh recall, yeah, no, it's all unraveling. It's literally in, like in they th- exactly. It's but I think it's cool because Adam Scott is listening to something about what he's going through, but that person himself, like the podcaster, doesn't know either. Yeah, you know, and, and, but it's all reactionary. So here's the the mind blower, right? Yeah. Let's forget for a fact, and I kind of like this. There was several months later a follow up podcast mm-hmm. on this very popular. Yeah, I podcast. love that. I love just that. like we might follow up this podcast in the future. Mm-hmm. Would that be exciting? But meta. Imagine, <laughs> imagine if. He had fast forwarded because you're saying this is happening in real time or well, anyway, he's um, he's finding out about it. But imagine if he had fast forwarded to it before he had done the things that oh, he was talking yeah. about. Yeah, what if he would had fast forwarded to the end the of the events? podcast? Oh, geez. Or maybe it would have just like made everything like go like everyone's fast forwarding like they're in like click or something. Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah, that's I just referenced that movie. We just made that. We just made a very good episode, I think, better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When we're talking about click. Why don't we when we just ask a simple question? Who won? The I would say the passengers won because it could have been worse. Like they're lucky they're surprised. Adam Scott did not win this no. situation. He gets beaten to death so badly that the the passengers lie about what happened to him. They tell people like if you listen to the podcast at the end, he says everyone sur- survived except one crew member, and the the passengers all say they don't know what happened to him. So they like as a group decided that they weren't going to tell on themselves for killing this man. Yeah. And I just, I think like it could have been much worse. They could have all died. So I think if this is worst case scenario, <laughs> at least everyone else lived. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did our gremlin Joe Beaumont, if he was real, did he win? I think because he wins. He was, he was not, you know, he was able to do what again he, he brought it up again, that same theory, uh, that same theme of being able to leave because he said too many problems in my past, you know, that I want to leave behind. He found a way, apparently crashing a plane, hijacking a plane and crashing it. <laughs> he found a way to leave it behind. And he says, one day you will too. And I have to say that was of uh, this whole thing where we're trying to, to investigate, we're trying to figure out what happens and what's going on with this podcast. That was one of my favorite shots where um, everyone's passed out. The oxygen masks yeah. are lowered. Mm-hmm. The red lights are going off. Joe's signed off. Good night, New York. He's sleeping. And then Adam, uh, I'm sorry, not Adam Scott, um, Justin Sanderson, he's looking up at the screen. He goes, oh, you were the pilot. And he puts <laughs> yeah. it all together, you know, still doing his investigative journalism as they're, you know, they're now hurtling towards their death. But um, because he maybe says, Joe wins. I don't know. Goodbye, New York. Yeah, right? that's yeah. That, yeah. And but when he's listening to the podcast, he obviously thinks it's the original pilot that mm-hmm. says sure. that. So Joe gets what he wants, but as messed up and fucked up as that is. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm so. going with you, man. I think Joe wins. Yeah. Gremlin. The Gremlin wins. The podcast wins because it's very successful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they did have a second episode, we know at least that much. Well, I think this podcast is probably going to be in the top 10 on uh, Apple Charts for sure. Um, <laughs> not not the fit to mention, but the, yeah. the, the podcast yeah. is in the, the show. Do you, do you think they'll do that? Because remember how well, like, what was the movie where they had the soundtrack from it? it like, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Is, isn't it where he has the, you know, yeah. everyone His had that tape? tape. yeah. And then that mixtape just went like, you know, a million times platinum. Yeah, it was like a meta sort of thing. It was a meta sort of thing. Yeah. So, what if all of a sudden, if they put this out, do you think a million people would download this podcast? I, I wonder if they will do a tie-in. That would be interesting if they have a promotional tie-in for this and they put it out there, which would be pretty funny. You would download and listen to it. Yeah. The I next would. time you were on a play, next <laughs> to your girlfriend there. <laughs> yeah. Enigmatic podcast. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Enigmatic, That's not going to happen. Right? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to allow that one. So, <laughs> All right. And this is our last segment in which we ask uh, Penny for your thoughts. It doesn't matter, Mr. Poole. A man with your ability. Hearing people's thoughts. Strange delusion. But with proper medical care, it will go away. Miss Turner, it is not a delusion. There, you see, I can read your thoughts. 
In other words, what would you do in this situation? Matt, you've been pretty vocal about this. What do you think? I don't uh I don't listen to podcasts or believe in them. <laughs> so I don't think we're actually I'm just talking into a can right now. Oh. I have I have no clue what I would do. You would have just, just put on a book you would have started reading a book. I or probably would uh, I probably would have put on a book. I, I, I would actually I'll tell you what I would do. I would never would I would never would have uh, even picked it up to begin with. You know, or I would have turned it over to the stewardess or the, what do you, what do you, I don't want to be, um, um, sexist. What do you call a, you know, a female, is it a flight attendant? It's stewardess? just a flight attendant. Air hostess? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be so antiquated here. I would have said someone, you know, someone left this and I huh. never would have heard any of it. And then you just would have had a nice peaceful flight. Yeah. Do you, do you listen to other people's stuff? No, I mean, because you know why? This is why I, I would immediately not or? be in this problem. I would never put other people's... You're a germaphobe. Yeah, drums. oh, he's an Eddie oh, Kasparak through and through. All right, that's enough. Um, <laughs> but I would never put the earbuds in my ear. So I wouldn't have this problem. I would just be sitting there nicely, and I would just keep looking at the thing, being like, wow, this is a really old uh, MP3 player. Why is this here? And that dickhead Joe would just be sitting in the back being like, oh, uh, so uh, did you listen to it? Uh, no. <laughs> Okay, I'm a little torn on this because um, with this, especially when he was bothering the flight attendant, it reminded me of a story that I saw on a Smithsonian special on um, the Concorde where there was a flight in 1979 where there was this aviation consultant on the flight and he looked out the window and saw a piece of metal fly by and saw that the wing was leaking fluid and wow. he was like, hey, flight attendant, this is not okay. And she said, no, 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 no. It's the flaps. Don't worry about it. And the flight attendants are just serving drinks, you know, chilling. And he's like, no, I need to talk to the flight crew right now. And he managed to get flight crew to come out. And some some guy came out, like the co-pilot or something. He comes out. And he's like, settle down, sir. Don't worry about it. And this guy who just happened to be a passenger, this aviation consultant, grabbed the guy's head and shoved it towards the window so that he would look. And the guy looks and goes, oh, Mandur, and, and runs back up. <laughs> and uh, and they ended up doing an emergency landing. And it was like right before they went supersonic, which, as we know wow. from the Twilight wow. Zone, is um, how you go into the past. Um, that's true. That's, that's another episode. Um, oh, good God. But yeah, so, I mean, what I took from that is, yeah, you tell them, <laughs> you do whatever you can to not crash. You know, if you see something wrong, if you see something, say something, you know? Yeah. yeah. This is why you're going to outlive us all. <laughs> or bring down the whole plane. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, what if it was like a really good in-flight movie, though? Then, you know, like they had like... Uh, I don't know, like Spotlight on the plane or something. Like I would probably watch. Spotlight. Yeah, everybody so, loves to watch Spotlight. I want to watch Spotlight on the plane. I think it's a good. It's a good. I'd let movie. the plane go down. I'd I'd I'd, <laughs> I'd fly it into the vat. That is not a good flight movie. Uh, it's a fun flight movie. Come on. It's, I've never heard Spotlight described as fun. All right. Well, I like Michael Keaton. Sometimes you know he was great in the paper I mean, and he was El- great in the Spotlight. Eleanor oh. just talked about you know the the desire for human beings to endure and survive and live. Against you know all at all costs you know and and then you bring up would you not do that so you can watch Spotlight I want to watch Spotlight I want to have some pretzels and Bloody Mary and watch Spotlight does does it matter what snacks and drinks they're serving there does matter absolutely matters if I don't have my Bloody Mary on a flight (laughs) bad news I know Southwest is now giving Ritz crackers that are shaped like planes too I wonder (laughs) if those crackers inside the inside the cracker planes have a little uh, cracker podcast (laughs) maybe they do all right Sammy what what would you do in this situation oh I would have done exactly what Adam Scott oh. Okay, well, yeah. that would go. <laughs> uh, I, I, if I actually did listen to it, I probably I would just listen to the whole thing before I did anything. Yeah, you said that. When See, we I'm the surprised episode. with you because, and I don't think we have the budget to include it. Or, but can't can't we cue Doc Brown to say, Michael? Nobody <laughs> should know too much about the future. That, that's true. And to you bring know? in a little Huey and Lewis in the news, that would have been cool if Huey Lewis is in this episode, though. But um, he's too damn loud. Now we have done all we could do. If we've been successful, well and good. There are no problems. But if, on the other hand, this final treatment has not achieved the desired result, please remember, Miss Tyler, that you can still live a long and fruitful life among people of your own kind. All right, Miss Tyler. Here comes the last of it. We've reached the end, and uh, we're going to give our overall thoughts, and we're sure going to rank it uh, from one to five doors. Or we could do eyeballs. This is where we set Ooh. our ranking system. Do we want to do doors or eyeballs for rankings? 
I'm doors. I'm doors. I feel you like could the, do you do half a door, right? If it's half, a, yeah. it's a jar. It's like half a door. I like, like that. on cinema at the cinema. Or but you could also do a, a, a like a winking eye a little bit. What do you What do you think, Eleanor? Are you eyes or uh, eyes or doors? I feel like it's three eyes and two doors. So I just don't know. <laughs> okay, well let's let's go, let's rank these uh, from one to five doors. One being uh, meh, five being oh my gosh, this is a classic episode. Eleanor, how many doors are you giving this? I'm going a solid two and a half. <laughs> two and a half doors. Wow. wow. Oh no. Why, oh, okay, why, I take oh, it back. <laughs> no, get, get, <laughs> no, you. No, that's sh- fair. Yeah. Give your two cents. Come on, I want to know. Okay, I mean, I just I really wasn't into the ending. Um, so yeah. that that pretty much took off two and a half doors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what, what was it about the ending that really just kind of put you uh, t- put you off? I like when there's some kind of lesson that I can glean from it, and I didn't get enough of a lesson out of it, and which is stupid because you know I'm there for entertainment, and it did entertain. So there's where two and a half come in, but because I don't really know what to do with it, I'm taking away two and a half doors. I think I'm going to be right around you um, in the in the zone rating in the sense that I'm going to give this about three. Mm-hmm. Um, I think three doors for me because look, I, I'm loving this show, and I don't want to go all in on five doors immediately. Five doors has got to be reserved for an episode that is just like wow. This one I thought was was good. I thought it was a little too cute. I do have issues with the ending too, Eleanor. I, I think that it doesn't exactly earn the malicious nature, even though he pissed off everyone. It's horrific if you think about the situation, but in the context of the actual episode, it comes off as this cute joke as, oh, let's kill the guy that's annoying on the plane. Like it, it seems a little too um, brash, but uh, yeah, for, but overall, like I, I applaud its abilities to take something that is an iconic episode and do something different with it. So uh uh, Matt, how many doors? I'm actually going to set a precedent of using the metric system. Oh my! So God. how many doors? How many American doors? And how do, I, <laughs> I don't have a conversion. Don't I don't have my conversion table. Okay, I'll, my I'll, wheelhouse. Okay, <laughs> I'll do what uh, I'll do. What you guys are doing? Uh, I'll go. I'll go three and a half doors. All right. Um, I think which is the highest so far. Yeah, it's we're working I'll go, our way I'll up. go three and a half doors and. I'll say this. I, I, when we say we didn't like the ending, I liked the ending. I didn't like the second ending. Um, didn't think we needed to go there. I mean, we didn't talk a lot about it, but I thought it was a beautiful, a beautifully shot. Oh, the totally. camera angles are great. Um, uh, the lightning, the music, and when it queued up to to sort of give you a sense of Justin's paranoia was wonderful. I thought it was claustrophobic in that flight. It was intense, and I like ambiguity. I, I, I don't mind not knowing. And I think I was a little bit more maybe sympathetic than others to just, um, when I say sympathetic than others, I mean, you, Mike, you, you mm. bastard. Um, I think I was a little bit more sympathetic about um, this idea of someone maybe being stuck up there and not having it all together and how terrifying that must be. And I just want, and I want to leave with this, maybe I want the extra half door because, you know, 60 years ago, the show, before we even hit, you know, the peak of the civil rights movement, they, um, you know, Rod Serling would put a, a black actor you know, in a lead role um, in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, here we are 60 years later, and to see, you know, Jordan Peele, not only an actor and a director, but, you know, now the new Rod Serling, so to speak, to be able to preside over the Twilight Zone, to see him on camera like that, I think, again, that's a, a cool moment for, um, you know, sci-fi and, um, you know, the genre and everything. So it's about time. It shouldn't take 60 years. Yeah, but uh, I think I think that is cool to see that, for sure. So three and a half doors for all the reasons stated above. Sammy, bring us home. I'm three doors down, I think. Three doors down. Three doors down. I'm yeah. a loser. That was great. You realize you can't use that again now. You, I know. You blew it at episode I two. Know. Ahead, That's okay. Ahead. Episode one. Trump's favorite band. Yes, perfect. unfortunately. Um, oh. But I'm giving it three doors down because I just, I felt something during it. Like the whole time I was sitting there next to you, like mm-hmm. Mike, and I was just like, so enthralled in the story and where it was going. I had no idea that they were going to bring the podcast aspect into it because like Eleanor, I was looking for the gremlin the whole time, Mm -hmm. but then it became a story that didn't need that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, I would have gone further again with the ending. I do agree. I think all I needed for that ending was just a shot of the, the video iPod in the sand. And I think that would have been, that's all I needed. Yeah. But instead, you know, we got the Donner party coming up and killing. <laughs> the Donner um, party. <laughs> but 
I thought it was a great <coughs> introduction to Peel when he walks out onto the sand in that, one of that last final scenes. It's beautiful. I think he does an amazing job. He surpassed my expectations as a host. So I think it was just a great, like, here you go. This is what we're doing. And this is what we wanted to show you episode. And I, I just, I was blown away by it. And I can't wait to, to watch the rest of the series. I, I, I can't stress enough how excited I am when Peel walks on screen. His voice is perfect. And, and, and one of the things I got at in my review last week is the sense that Finally, with the revival, we have a reliable storyteller. When I see him, there's a confidence and a swagger to him that makes me realize, okay, wherever he's going to take us is going to be at least interesting. And that's important because that confidence and that dominating presence is something that Rod Serling had that no other host or no other actors that have been, been able to you know, try to do this has had again. And I think this is just a perfect vessel for Jordan Peele. And so I'm, for me, I'm, I give five doors to the narrator because I'm I'm all in. I think his narration is just fucking phenomenal and I can't wait to see where this Twilight Zone goes. And I think that wraps up our first episode on Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. That was Nightmare at 30,000 feet and that's going to conclude us for this week and the uh, on the at least for this first episode, not this week because uh, we're only, coming at you with episode 2. We're going to come at you with episode 2 because <laughs> this is a two episode premiere. Before we go, let's tell our uh, listeners where you can find each other. Matt, where can uh, people find you? Uh, you can find me all the time uh, with columns and reviews and all kinds of things at consequenceofsound.net. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mr. Matt Mellis. That's M-A-T-T-M-E-L-I-S, Mr. Before All That. You'll Ooh, figure it out. Love it. Eleanor, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Edwards underscore Eleanor or on Twitter at Eleanor Sparkle. I think I've made two tweets, but we'll have to change I, that. <laughs> I just doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Um, well, that's great. And then, uh, Sammy, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SRKDAL, S-R-K-D-A-L-L, because my name is fucking super long, so I just shortened it to my initials, where I post uh, various things that I buy that I shouldn't. Yeah, well, and you could find me at Michael Rothman, and uh, I publish uh, constantly over a Consequence of Sound because uh, that is my job. And I also am on the Losers Club, as I mentioned before, a Stephen King podcast on a weekly basis. And uh, I'm also on Halloweenies, a Halloween podcast, uh, which has turned into a Nightmare on Elm Street podcast. So very exciting. Um, and with that, we implore you to leave us reviews on iTunes, on uh, Apple Podcasts, rather, uh, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and to follow us on our socials. Fifth Dimension, just look for us on Facebook, Instagram. We're going to get a Twitter soon, but you can find us on those two there, and we're going to be sharing some real fun, I don't know, zone media. Zone content. Zone content. (laughs) We're going to zone some zone content, but either way, find us on there. But until next time, keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. And we'll be waiting for you in the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network.